I just think caring about stuff and making stuff as best as you can and trying to find something for you in your projects is really important, both for your portfolio, but also just as a person. I think if you're upset and you're just like begrudgingly doing everything, you're gonna just be miserable and you're not gonna like the finished product. You're not gonna be proud of what you did. So even if something is mind numbing, I think I always do try and find the joy and entertainment value and kind of like whatever I'm doing. And we are back. Relin' friends, relin' friends, relin' friends, relin' friends. It has been a week for me. Let me tell you, it has been a week for me. I've been working. I've been dealing with sick kids. And I've been dealing with broken appliances at home. Now I'm choosing not to start this episode talking about amazing things going on on my end. I mean, it's been busy. Instead, I want to like give a big virtual heartfelt feelings and thoughts to all of my friends who've been recently victims of layoffs or anyone listening. If I don't know you, I know there's been a lot and there's been a lot of press around the layoffs that have been happening in 2024. The new year is not starting off on a happy note for workers at some of the country's largest tech companies with more layoffs just announced. Job cuts. Layoffs in technology. The layoffs keep coming. Massive job cuts. And we all know who are some of the first to get layoff is creatives. So there's been a lot of press about these big companies that are doing these huge layoffs in 2024. But from my memory, like a lot of these layoffs started happening early last year and kind of never stopped. Even some of these companies that are doing layoffs now, they had layoffs last year as well. So we're definitely well into a recession. My heart goes out to everybody. I know the feeling. I have been there. I've been jobless and not knowing where to go next. So no, you're not alone. And hopefully these words that you hear can help out a little bit. A lot of folks share their stories being in similar positions. And speaking of positions, let's get into some news. Now I was just kind of browsing around on the internet looking for some news to talk about because, you know, I don't prepare at all for this. You know, I imagine you guys are just hanging out with me and we're surfing the web together. So I saw this article on Entrepreneur, three creator economy myths debunked. So I'm just going to read through this and let's get some reactions together because I believe the creator economy, as they call it, is a very lucrative future for anybody that wants to get into it. Okay, this article says the reality is the $100 billion fast-growing content creation industry is much more varied and complex than people usually assume. Okay, the key word there is $100 billion. Did you catch that? You heard that, right? That's a lot of money. I'm getting money talking numbers like Larry Joe. So here are the three myths. Myth number one, content creation is not a real job. Nope. You already know where I stand on that. Content creation is definitely the way to go. The way everyone consumes content like zombies and drug addicts, they're just looking for more. So we're here to push that off to them. You know what I'm saying? Myth number two, 
all creators are young. Nope. I can most definitely tell you that I'm not young. According to an Adobe survey, the average age for creator is 40. Yes. Round of applause for my seasoned content creators. That's me. Uh, Forbes puts the average age of the 50 most high profile creators at 31. The young boys are 31. Okay, cool. It's old man's game for once. And myth number three, you need millions of followers to make it as a content creator. Nope. I already knew that. You don't need a lot of followers. You just need dedicated followers. And sometimes when you have a lower number of followers, they might be more dedicated. They might be more dedicated to you, more of a fan to you, and feel like they have a more personal relationship to you. And this is just all stuff that I've learned from watching other content creators on YouTube talk. But we're getting there, y'all. But if you want to be a dedicated follower yourself, if you want to have that intimate relationship with Rel and friends, or just Rel, hit me up, rel.mov on Instagram. You can hit the podcast. You know what? I'm actually going to give you the number for this voicemail because we still have zero voicemails. You guys know that, right? You haven't heard a single voicemail yet because we got zero. That voicemail number is 646-926-3885. And you know what? I'm going to give you a different way to send a voicemail. You could do a voice note. And you can send that over too. You can, you can you can even just DM me on IG, rel.mov. Okay. And if I still don't get any voicemails, we're done with this voicemail game. Okay. But I am so excited to present my guest today. He goes by the name of Nick Golden Henry. I have a long relationship with my friend here. We worked at <laughs> for about 10 years together. We were peers from afar. I was in the New York office and he was in San Francisco. And I remember I was like the young guy at first making cool stuff. And then I started hearing about this other new young guy. And I saw he was making cool stuff. And it was kind of jealous, but also excited because we're on the same team. I was like, finally, there's more cool stuff. And then he eventually moved to New York where we became colleagues there. And then when there was that big reorg, he became a direct report of mine. But still worked very much like a colleague because that's how I do things. We're all on the same team, no matter what title you have. Just how we work. And then since then, since starting Art of Storytelling, I like to call him employee number one because out of everyone I've contracted, he's probably helped me on almost every single project. And I think last year we worked almost every month together. Very talented. I, I encourage you to check out his website, nickhenry.com. There's very few other video editors that approach storytelling in a way where I'm kind of like, how did, how did he do that? Like, what made him think of doing that? But beyond that, Nick is just a very genuine guy, very authentic, very empathetic. He brings energy to every project, an all-around good time. He brings equity to everything he does. So I very much vibe with Nick. And when you're looking for a creative collaborator, that's what makes everything great. So without further ado, we nerd out a lot. 
on editing talk, but that's what we're here for to nerd out a bit. But let's jump into it. My interview with Nick Golden Henry. Nick Golden Henry, what is your favorite rap line? Ayo, the camouflage chameleon, ninja scale in your building. No time to grab the gun. They already got your wife and children. <laughs> yes. That is my go-to line when anyone, uh, when I need to prove that I'm a true hip-hop head to people, that's the line I go to. <laughs> I don't know if I'd consider myself a true hip-hop head, but I listened to another episode and I heard that question. And <laughs> by like a mile, that was the first line that came yeah. to my head. And then I started thinking about it more. I was like, oh, I, that feels kind of random. But then I was like, no, I'm not going to fake it. That's my favorite line. Camouflage chameleon, ninja scale in your building. No time to grab the gun. They already got your wife and children. So welcome to the show. I like to start every episode with a memory I have with the person I'm interviewing. And to be honest, I didn't really think of one for us. But there is many from all the CESs to all of the shoots we did, a lot of Apple stuff, to you being, I, I called you my very first employee because I contracted you for a lot of stuff in the first couple of years of my business. But one memory that does pop out when I left, <laughs> there was a video that everyone did. And I think just to spite me, you ended your portion with a dab. And I, and I think you did that just to troll me and it worked. It was a very nice video and I was almost in tears, but that Brought me back to reality with the, the dab. Oh, and the Return of the Mac, because you love Return of the Mac. Yeah. And I always hated that song. Yeah, I'd always have to test these things that I thought were cool or funny, and then I'd try them on you to see if they were actually cool or funny, and you had to set me straight a bunch of times. Well, you are cool, and you are funny, man. I'll let you know that. First of all, currently, like, what is your profession? What do you do right now? I'm a freelance editor and film and video maker. I've been freelance for about two years and I moved to Denver, Colorado during the pandemic. So vast majority of my freelance work is just editing from home. Okay, cool. And then creatively, what can you do? Like everything. I can handle a camera. I like doing camera work. I don't do it as much as I used to. But yeah, as far as passion projects, yeah, I've made some music videos, some short films. I've been getting kind of into actual film stuff. I got a free Super 8 camera and I've actually been shooting it a lot. That's been really fun, even though it's mostly still in the kind of home movie realm still, but that's been cool getting to learn to do that and really explore that world, which I'd never really done before. Also, I'd consider myself an at-home musician. I've only played a handful of shows, but yeah, you'll play guitar and do some singing and songwriting. And I had a band, which we used to call the greatest band in the universe, which I still think is true called Nature's Vegas in San Francisco. And we never broke up. We're still together, but we've kind of all dispersed across the country. So the shows are few and far between, but we still try and get one on the books every year or two. If you would like to be the fifth or sixth listener on Nature's Vegas Spotify, <laughs> go right ahead, man. We'd love to have you. I'll, I will be the fifth and then someone else could be the sixth. <laughs> I, I haven't checked out the Spotify yet, so I'm going to have to do that. Yeah, it's old, but it's just funny because every time I look on there, the monthly listeners are dwindling. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the way it is, man. That's the music game right now. Can you get into kind of like where you're from and then like how you got into the video production world? I'm from the Napa Valley of California, and I think probably my dad and my sister especially, Melissa Pratt, shout out. She's a filmmaker, 
and she's older than me and I feel like she passed on her love of film and filmmaking and a million other cool things onto me. So from a pretty young age, I was watching movies and wanting to make movies and wanting to write movies. I took a lot of film classes in college, although I ended up majoring in English, but it had always been my passion. I actually, <laughs> I was on my high school news team and that's where I learned to actually shoot and edit. And it was cool even at the time, like I remember I got to do a lot of the sports stuff and I would just rip off Monday night football intros and then do it for our football team and like our wrestling one in particular, I remember where I just like edited it to uh, the Kill Bill song that dun, dun, dun. And like, it was probably hella janky and DIY, but everyone was so stoked. And I think that motivated me to keep doing that. And then, yeah, I'm like a lifelong skateboarder too. So I've always been around filming skating and always having a camera nearby and making fun little edits and stuff like that. Cool, cool. Would you say some of your first video projects were skate videos? Yes and no. I, I actually, in our crew, I was not the filmer editor guy. I was kind of just, you know, the comic relief hanging around. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I always made little things. I never quite got into the editing and proper skate video thing, but it definitely kept me close to that world. And I think, especially in college, really motivated me to learn editing programs and stuff like that. And then fast forward a few years and moved to San Francisco after college. And I got a video internship at Thrasher Magazine and was mostly just archiving old tapes and stuff but that put me in final cut at the time and i kind of just learned stuff and that led to my job where i met you cool 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 that's what's up how did you land that thrasher job because i'm sure at the time that was probably like a dream job for you right oh yeah i was freaking out one of my best friends walker ryan he hooked it up and his roommate at the time is still a staff photographer for for Thrasher. So I was over at his house all the time and they very casually, I was working at a deli and they were kind of just super casual. We we're like, oh yeah, I could probably get you an internship. And it wasn't paid or anything, but yeah, I didn't even have to like interview for it. I mean, it was very low key, you know, like I could show up pretty much whenever I wanted and just do work. And everyone was just kind of like, oh yeah, hey, what's up? Uh, Go to the basement. So yeah, I got to share an office in the basement with this guy, Preston Mygitter. P Stone, who is a legend and he passed away a few years ago. And I just think it's crazy that me, this, you know, kind of nerdy skater guy got to live in San Francisco and share an office with him. And he taught me a lot of stuff too, even though I was just going in once or twice a week. That's really cool. That's really cool. And was that your first job doing video production at all? Like your first actual paid job? It wasn't paid, but uh, <laughs> well, yes. it wasn't even paid. <laughs> so, uh, so it was just kind of like a, it, this is a cool job. You're lucky to be here. Uh, do yeah. this work for free, okay? And at that time, there was a lot of internships that weren't unpaid. I think now it's a law, like you have to get paid. But in our day, you would work for free a lot just to get your name out there. So, can you give me a, a brief career breakdown? Yeah, from there, I got a job at. <laughs> And uh, I've listened to the show, so I'm just hoping you can bleep <laughs> as much as possible for yeah, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually don't care, but I just like the way you bleep it out. Yeah, with um, the Jadakiss laugh. <laughs> Shout out to John. That was his idea. <laughs> yeah, I actually responded to a Craigslist ad to work on a show at <laughs> that you know that was called Always On with Molly Wood. It was a little bit 
controversial at the time, I think just it within, <laughs> but it was awesome. Like I loved working on it and I learned so much. I was mostly just a production assistant and got to work with my boy Celso, who's still at, <laughs> and it's just an awesome guy to learn the ropes from. I responded to a Craigslist ad and then they called me in for an interview and they really liked him to me. It started as a three month contract and turned into a bigger contract for a few years. And then finally they hired me. And then, yeah, I think I was there almost nine years and then moved across the country like you did. I moved to New York for a while with them. That's where we kind of linked up, right? At the New York yeah, yeah. office. Yep. Yeah, dude, you were my boss for the most <laughs> yeah, part, yeah, right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Didn't seem that way really, but you're definitely a good boss. Thank you. <laughs> and then, yeah, did that for a while, did that during the pandemic and was very thankful for it. And then kind of had wanted to go on my own for a long time and then finally did it in 2021. Cool, cool. And then so you've just been freelance since. Yep. Awesome, man. All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says, we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative, send them my way. I promise you'll be the hero. You'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones hit me up rel.mov on ig chances are i have a video that you need already let's talk it through all right back to the program okay so let me jump into the first segment it's called for the love of money, money. there's a segment that i used to hopefully help encourage transparency around money talk for creative professionals i have a different perspective because since i was your boss at the time i know how much money you made you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember those numbers, but what I do remember is that they were I, really bad. I felt like they were grossly, <laughs> no, you were grossly underpaid for the type of performer that you were. Cause like we can agree and I know you're, you're a humble guy, but we can agree you are one of the strongest performing producers there. Okay. We can agree with that. Yes. Just agree. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um. Yes. You have to agree. But I will say you weren't getting paid the highest. You weren't getting paid as much as some other people that were not performing at the same level. Was there ever a time where you went for those promotions, but you were denied or like a raise or anything like that? Was there ever a time? Yeah, I think there was. I think I got a lot better at it actually after you left. Mm. I think I was able to just not care as much and ask for what I deserved, but it took a while. It, it took a lot for me to be comfortable talking about money and it's still hard but yeah i'd say in the beginning there was a couple times where i would ask for a raise and one time in particular they said something about how there was a queue basically of who was getting a raise and like i was not in that queue which was kind of absurd and especially when i was in san francisco it seemed like a lot of it was more yeah queue based and they did kind of reward longevity and i think i also kind of fell into a little bit of a trap because I was a 
very affordable contractor because I started as a production assistant and then I was a contractor for maybe two to three years. And then so when the salary came the first time, I was like, damn, like this is a lot of money. Um, They really hyped it up at the time that it was really high. Um, And so, yeah, like I think I believed them because... I had a couple internships. I had one internship that paid minimum wage, basically. That wasn't a video internship. And then I had Thrasher, which was free. And then I was working at a deli for minimum wage. So not saying I was like, you know, I've had it very good, but I was stoked on that at first. Then it kind of hovered around that range for a lot of years. Yeah. How long did it take to get the next significant bump? I think in nine years, I maybe got two to three like good raises okay oh that's good yeah i got a really good one right before i left which made it that much harder to leave i think it was just like i don't know the universe making me make a decision and uh i had already made it at that point and i knew i wanted to leave so i think i got a month of like the new nice yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) did it make you think twice about leaving a little bit i mean it's so comfortable you were the same you know we'd gotten comfortable we'd gotten good at pushing stuff out and a lot of people are and have been there a really long time like it's actually a great place to yeah do what we do and be comfortable and still be making stuff yep 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 it's a job that you can easily fall into that comfortable routine and just kind of coast and not grow or you can make something out of it there was a lot of opportunity there as well and i feel like you were one of the ones that took advantage of that because you didn't come in and just do your job you came in wanting to do a good job and i think that reflects in the raises that you did get during the time whenever there was a high profile video you were the guy they called on you know what i mean but okay i'm gonna give a secret and i can't remember if i did this with you as well but i know there was a couple of my direct reports and what i'm gonna say will probably get me never hired at a corporation again, <laughs> but I'm going to say it. It's worth the risk, dude. It's Just worth the risk. It. So there's a couple times where I had some high performing employees. You were one of them. There was one other guy. And I learned of something called at flight risk. So if one of the high performing employees is at risk of leaving the company, that is a time that you can find money, you can somehow reach up to the executives and be like, hey, one of my top performing guys, he's getting an offer at this other place. We need to get him another 10, 15K now, you know, and that's how you get those raises when it's not the annual raise time. Did I present that to you? I don't know if you said those exact words, but I do remember I appreciated you. I feel like you were pretty transparent with me and honest with me I, I remember you took me into the studio and you're like hey this is how we're gonna do this blah 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 and I think you did get me a raise I was applying to other jobs that whole time and I like I don't even know if I had another interview man it was crazy that was definitely disheartening at the time and probably wasn't good for my confidence in asking money from our actual work because <laughs> like I was like sending cover letters and stuff all over the place and not hearing anything back. But that is a trick. Like, if you know you're super valuable to the company, good, just tell your boss, like, I have an offer somewhere else. It's a gamble. Like, and I said this to everyone, all of my employees at the time that I presented to is like, just be prepared for people to not counter it. And then you have to figure out what's next. 
I do remember there was someone that I said that to that, and they didn't counter. So, <laughs> but for the most part, most of the time, people got the raises. I want to say that happened with us, but yeah, I was always super transparent. I always used to say things I'm not supposed to say as a boss, but I wanted to see the people win. You know what I mean? I'm sure this is standard practice, but thinking back on it, it was like really funny. One time, I think maybe this was the good raise. I remember <laughs> you like came up to my desk and like, dude, we were crammed like sardines in that office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like sitting next to the the messiest dude. <laughs> but I remember you came up all like stealth and you had this little tiny post-it note and you like stuck it next to my keyboard <laughs> and you're like, this is what you're getting, dude. <laughs> and like you like showed me the post-it note but like i wasn't allowed to keep it or something and then you like took it back and then you like slinked off <laughs> yeah i think that was a move i learned from our previous boss because she used to do that all the time and i don't know if that's a trick or something but like yeah they told me like no one's supposed to know and i hated that like you couldn't talk about what people made and stuff like that and i think you got like a 10 percent at that time when you're not supposed to so yeah yeah, that, that was a success story. But yeah, remember that trick, guys, if you want to uh, get paid. <laughs> and uh, bleep it out one more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't come after me for dropping all those numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't come after me either because I was definitely not supposed to be in cahoots like that. <laughs> That's uh, why you're a good boss, though. And people you. trusted you and liked you and yeah, respected yeah, yeah, yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right on, man. Okay, so we're going to talk about video editing. Do you think being a video editor is an underappreciated job. Oh yeah, 100%. I think other people have talked about this on your show, but I, th I think with smartphones and you know Instagram stuff, like people think editing is super easy and you know, just chopping something up all quick. But I think there's almost, well, I don't wanna say unteachable, but I think editing is so much feel and I think it takes a certain person who really understands the rhythm of a project or a piece to do it. And I think that is super undervalued. And a lot of people think not only everyone can do it, which maybe everyone can if they try hard enough, but I think a lot of times people think that it's easy and something that can happen really fast. A lot of it can happen really fast, but I think if you allow a little bit more time, you can do things in editing that are really worth it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I always have a difficult time explaining is the value of a strong video editor. So like if I have a budget and I want to hire uh, a strong video editor, it might be a little bit more of a premium price as opposed to hiring a more entry level editor who will do it for really cheap. And I have been on crews where they don't want to pay the higher price. And I always struggle with how to explain why we should pay more for a video editor. Can you explain what makes a great video editor in your words? How would you explain that? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, just having this feel for when someone should be talking, when there should just be music, when there should be a breath, when there should be a break. It's really understanding the story and like the essential parts of the story. And then I think feeling confident. I, I do a lot of editorial work freelance too. And this is credit to the people who pay me too. But I think I've developed a confidence in being able to voice my opinion when a story needs something or a video needs something that is unique to editors and people who've edited a lot and spent a lot of time with the footage. It's almost like a 
not to over hype it, but it's almost like a sixth sense where you can do it and you know when something needs something else or not. And also another part of it is like understanding tone and being able to put together stuff that really hit on whatever tone you're going for. Like a thing that drives me crazy and when I can tell that people don't edit that much is especially with like music if the music like really stands out or if like it's completely off like you'll hear some crazy cinematic like you know high keys on a piano when it's like a shot of an office building or something I'm like oh I would never do that no matter what but it's just a lot of understanding how stories piece together and using your intuition to make it the best it can be yep 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 would you would say, you say your, your background, background as, a as a musician helps you, helps you as a video editor i don't know if it's my background as a musician maybe more just as my background as someone who really appreciates music more than like actually making music i think because i am like always looking for music to use always really paying attention to the song and seeing how we can use music to make our stuff better. And I think especially in corporate stuff or like editorial stuff, I think that's a pretty important skill set and mm-hmm. like being able to use music and sound in a dynamic way. Yeah. Yep. 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 I feel like a lot of video editors don't do or don't have the ability to do is really bring out an emotion. And I think that's one of the things that make a strong video editor it's usually like a team between like an editor and a director or something like that. That's when a piece would really shine. But I think a strong editor can figure that out on their own. So let me just go through a few emotions and let me and then, uh, explain to me how you would, uh, this might be hard, but explain to me like what your approach would be in an edit. And maybe I'll do the same too. So if you're editing a soundbite and someone is talking about a story where they were really confused and didn't know their next steps in life and, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, you know, just lost. What are some elements you would add into the edit to help portray that? Wait a second. So you want me to, you want me to tell you how I'd edit this scenario that you've just created off the top of your head? Yes. Yes. About yes. a confused person. What is this confused person okay, doing? Okay, say, the, say they're telling a story about they just got laid off, their mortgage is due in three days, their bank account's in negative. Okay, so it's like, it's like sad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's sad. not like someone who's like wondering where that smell came from or something. No, 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 yeah, so it, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, this is appropriate. Yeah, you need those details. So it's sad, but like urgent, like something needs to happen or else life is going to drastically change. Yeah, I think not to get too in the weeds with it, I think a tool that I use a lot is laying a track under the A-roll that will kind of build slowly and you maybe don't even like totally notice that it's happening and then try and find some beat drop or like hit that you can cut to B-roll and show something related to what this per- people were just talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's a simple way to answer the question, but yeah, or maybe a practical way, but yeah, I'm not sure. I like to use stuff and make it as subtle as possible until it doesn't need to be subtle anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And music choice is a big one. I feel like that is where a lot of edits kind of lack. And a lot of times people just want to use like 
some beats that they like or just like music they pull from their own personal taste when the edit might not call for that i think i'm guilty of that too though to be honest sure sure and and there's places you can do that you know what i mean because like you have a style and i have a style like we have different tastes but we know how to pull from our taste to bring out that emotion you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i think there's just a lot of music that i would just like never use or think about using because i think music can really distract and be really corny and I don't know, just be really ham-fisted with it. And I'd rather just kind of be subtle and create a harmony between the audio and the visual. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Like, that's where our styles differ because mine's a little in your face. You know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, points where the music is full blast and just visuals, you know? And I think yours is a little bit more, like you said, like, in harmony, but you do that too. You do that too. I remember specific tracks that you would reuse and that became like your style, you know, that from what I remember. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a whole nother conversation, but oh my God, finding music <laughs> yeah. on stock websites yeah. is the bane of my existence, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dread it. But I you're good at it. it. You're good at it though. You know? Thank you. I think I am good at it, but mm-hmm. like, it's, I hate it. Yeah, uh, because because you got to really put time into it. And I think people are just like, when they're sourcing for music, it's just like, ah, oh, this will do. But you need to really put time into it. Okay, okay, let's talk about the time it takes for editing, okay? So when you're taking on a project and it's say it's like a three, three to five minute edit coming from footage that took maybe two to three shoots, in order to put together... And to say this is a project that you're picking up brand new, it's not one where you're in the swing of things, you've got a template going, this is something like brand new. How much time would you want to dedicate to that edit to do a really good job? I think the key word you said is two to three shoots. Having time to live with footage before you even do any editing is like incredibly overlooked. Is this editorial or like a commercial project? Uh, I would say it's a commercial project. Um, yeah, three to five minutes is a lot if you want it to be like really high quality. I'd probably say at least seven or eight days, maybe. That's fast. I would say that's fast because I I would say even two weeks for uh, a rough cut, even for the first, if you can get I should preface this. I should have prefaced this earlier. I actually don't have a lot of (laughs) commercial work under my belt. I like mostly do editorial and I actually think I prefer it a lot. But, but that's, that's not easy either, you know, like, because uh, you're working with a lot of sound bites, very rarely scripted. So you're kind of crafting these stories yourself. And I'm not talking about the ones where there is a script, you know, I'm talking about like stuff like they went out and shot stuff and you got to put together the story yourself. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'd say two weeks I would probably stand by, especially if I was billing someone per day, doing full days. I think that works, but don't come after me if that's wrong or hold me to two weeks if anyone comes at me with, with that work. I mean, there's... Including you, Ariel, who you hire me. Wait, yeah, that's, that, I know the standard. I know the standard. <laughs> but, like, uh, you know, there's some clients where it's just like, I tell them, like, a month, and they're like, cool, you know? And there's some where it's like, I need this tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And, and you just you got to explain that that's just not realistic, you know? So we just mentioned one, but what are some reoccurring challenges that you face as a video editor? People thinking that their footage is way better than it is. (laughs) I think you can fix a lot in post. That's actually a big reason why I like post. I feel less stressed by it because it's just my job to make the best of something as I possibly can. 
it's hard to blame an editor, I think. Whereas like, as you know, editors are constantly like cursing the DPs <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> um, some of those like geeky shirts I see online that are like, fix it in present. I think that's hella funny. <laughs> I've never seen that. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, challenges is a client maybe thinking that the footage is better than it is. Not giving you enough time is like a huge one or asking for something really big, really late. I think I've gotten pretty good at receiving feedback and receiving notes, which is like a huge part of being an editor, I think, and not being like a jerk about it or not getting your feelings hurt about stuff. But I will say I can still get a little bit of a diva if like certain notes come in at certain times, like a very specific example of this that happens all the time. I get really annoyed when people say something about the music like a day before the thing is supposed to be done. Like if you have thoughts on music, like you got to say that on like the first cut, maybe the second I'll give you a pass. Picking music and editing to music is such a huge deal and really helps establish the flow of a video piece. And if you change one 20 second song in the middle of the video, like it could end up changing the whole thing and how you edited it. So if you get that note deep into a project, it can really screw things up. And like I push back all the time and will actually just say like, that's going to be really hard. That's going to screw things up. And I feel like most of the people I work with are pretty cool about it, but I think just dealing with feedback and dealing with notes in general is a big skill that is nice to have and, and not getting all wrapped up in your feelings about stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had this conversation with a graphic designer friend on the podcast about receiving feedback. This is a recurring topic, actually, and how at first when you're doing graphic design or, or any kind of like creative work, it's really hard to take feedback because you're pouring so much of yourself into the project. And I don't think people understand that that's the same thing with video editing. Like when you do turn in an edit, you do feel like you're turning in a piece of yourself, I guess, which is weird to say, but like you're very attached to this work because you've been spending hours just staring at the footage and creating this piece from scratch. And then usually you're very proud about it. So getting the feedback can be hard, but the feedback process is necessary. And to become a great editor, you need to be able to get through those challenges of just accepting feedback. How long did it take you to accept feedback without getting your feelings hurt? And then also the second part of that question is when do you push back on feedback? I still think I get my feelings hurt from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially on more fun projects that I actually do care about more. I think especially with like, you know, corporate stuff and corporate stuff can range from like extremely boring to not as boring. <laughs> but uh, I think that stuff, I don't really care. But yeah, more of the passion projects where you definitely have to like take swings and if people don't like it or don't see it like you do, that can be hard to swallow. Pushback, I feel like I'm pretty good unless it's like late in the project and the deadline is like fast approaching. That's kind of the only time when I'll push back, especially as a freelancer. I think at <laughs> and stuff, I would be way more comfortable pushing back because like yeah. I'm going to be there tomorrow no matter what. And mm -hmm. like, I don't know. We're all more comfortable with each other. Whereas being a freelancer, you know, they're paying me for the day. I mean, I, there has been feedback where like I've had to ask for more time because of their feedback. Like it wasn't really anything I did they changed their mind or there was an error on their side and I've had to extend the project. So I'll let them know, be like, okay, yeah, sure. But like, 
this is going to be another day, you know? So that's kind of the only time I would really push back unless it was like something really, really absurd that they like asked for. Like, I don't know, maybe like a really bad joke that wasn't landing. And you can tell, you know, I think as an editor, you, you can tell if some idea that the director or the producer or the host had to do something and you're like by yourself on the computer, like, oh my God. So, yeah. There was a lot of that. I did a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it works too. Um, that, yeah, that's what's yeah, also yeah, yeah. fun is I think a reason why I love editing is you can totally try weird stuff and you are just by yourself in a computer and like sometimes it totally works and sometimes it doesn't and if it doesn't then you just delete that part and <laughs> don't show anybody yeah 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 yeah. so okay you brought up a good point like a lot of times when you're editing you're sitting at a computer for hours you really have to watch the same clip over and over and over again days even you're just sitting down you're not really getting up um especially if there's a tight deadline you it might be back-to-back days where you're just sitting there from morning to night to beat that deadline how do you stay sane as an editor? You know what I mean? Like, how, like, what do you do so you, it, you don't go crazy? And I, th- I think this is really why a lot of people hate editing. It really takes a certain person to love doing editing. It could really take a toll on you, like being a full-time editor. You know, like, what do you do? Yeah, I think there's two parts to your question. The computer part is a huge part of it and a huge reason why I was hesitant when you asked earlier if you know I love being an editor if that was like my main thing I like doing I would say my hesitation with that is I am an active person and I never thought I was going to be a guy on a computer all day so that is a tough pill to swallow sometimes but personally I think I have pretty good restraint I have pretty good personal work-life balance I'm not the person who is gonna be working 20 hours a day or even 12 hours a day. And I've been lucky where a lot of my clients freelance, I think are also very cool about that. And they understand that I'm going to give it my best go in a normal working hours. Obviously that will change. Sometimes if you really need to hit a deadline and you have a mountain of work, then sometimes you will do that. But I think that's true of any job. I think the other part of your question is how do you do it? Like actually editing without going insane. Yeah, it's kind of this weird phenomenon where I don't know. Can you imagine doing like any other part of your day where you're like literally watching the same thing like a thousand times? No. Or like a finished piece? Like how much effort does it take you to click on one YouTube video that's like eight minutes long and watch the whole thing? A lot. (laughs) Yeah, a lot. (laughs) But when you're the one editing it, you literally watch that eight minutes like 50 times. Yes. And it's like no big deal. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So... I think how to not go insane. I think I do go insane sometimes, but (laughs) I just think caring about it and caring about stuff and making stuff as best as you can and trying to find something for you in your projects is really important, both for your portfolio, for you to use it later, but also just as a person. I think if you're upset and you're just like begrudgingly doing everything, you're going to just be miserable and you're not going to like the finished product. You're not going to be proud of what you did. So I think even if something is mind numbing or it's hard to find the joy in it, I think I always do try and find the joy and entertainment value and kind of like whatever I'm doing. That's cool. That's good. That's good. That's great advice. And I do remember that when we would go on shoots and some of the people 
that we work with would be a little bit hard <laughs> to work with. But you always found the humor in it, and that would really help. And one thing I can confirm is that you are very good at maintaining a healthy work-life balance. When we were working together, at <laughs> I never had to tell you to take your PTO. You, like, you made sure you took it. <laughs> I was like, take all your PTO, or else you're just going to lose it, man. Like, I'm, I'm going to take mine. You better take all of yours. Like, we'll be fine here. And there's some people that just didn't want to do it. I don't know why, but you took all your PTO, and you took great vacations. I was always jealous. You traveled the world a lot. <laughs> so yeah, I think as an editor, make time for yourself. Make time to be active because you're going to be spending a lot of hours sitting at a computer, staring at a screen. So if you like what you heard, if you're seeing some value, if you're getting some inspiration, if you could just do me a favor, go over to their podcast platform and rate us five stars, leave a little comment, let folks know how much you like the podcast, because then you'll help us get into other people's homes, ears, wavelengths brains and we'll spread the gospel all right so my next segment is called scope creeps a scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectation or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation do you have any scope creep stories that you could share with us since i went freelance people scared me enough where i really put effort in the beginning of a project to um, make sure I don't get screwed later on. Like even with you who I fully trust and am used to working with, like we've signed contracts for like pretty simple stuff we worked on together. Yeah. So I don't know as a freelancer, if I have any good stories, like it always happens like little things here and there. And I think you can just be reasonable depending on what the ask is. There's been a few times where people will ask me just completely wacky stuff. <laughs> like isn't even possible so it's not even like a hard no it's just like <laughs> can you animate like this minute long thing and have it make it look like it's drawn by hand and blah 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 I'm like, oh, no can't do that sorry <laughs> yeah like yeah. that's somebody else <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah yeah i would more relate it to passion projects where especially if you're doing something for little or no money i actually think doing stuff for little money is harder than doing stuff for no money because when you're doing stuff for no money, it really is a passion project. And I'm guessing you probably want, unless you're really just helping someone out, which I've done before too. But if you're really getting no money, it's probably something that you want to do. And so you're going to make time for that. Little money is harder, I think, because you still feel semi-obligated to work on it or probably really obligated to work on it, especially if it's a favor for a friend who's paying you little money. And that's where you can go crazy and I think that's when you start resenting people and resenting the work you're doing and stuff like that I did have one I was really excited about but it just ended up being so much work and I did get paid and like the number wasn't too bad at the time but like the amount of hours I put into it I was basically getting paid like nothing and it was so hard and I edited it at home off my crappy laptop and I don't know, like I wasn't that stoked on the final product. So that one was kind of tough and that one was a little bit discouraging. You didn't understand the scope or was it more like the scope changed over time? I think they pitched it to me as something that was higher production value than what I got on the hard drives. Got it. And then you had to output 
a higher production value without getting the footage. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think they expected a higher production value that was like honestly not possible. And this thing was crazy unorganized and I had to do so much like technical stuff, like syncing five cameras in like a written scene, you know what I mean? There's one thing if it's like a live show or something where you can just switch to different cameras and it is what it is. This was like acting with takes and I want to say at least three cameras rolling at the same time. And dude, it was so hard. That sounds painful, man. <laughs> yeah. So, so what did you, what was your takeaway? I want to say in case for whatever reason you're listening to this and you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> you guys are very sweet. I enjoyed working with you. It was just a hard project <laughs> and they had the best of intentions, you know, and, and I think they are talented people. I think it was just a, it was a little bit of a messy project. Yeah. And I'll say a lot of times those scope creep moments happen because the people putting together a project just don't know. They don't realize that the work that they're asking you to do is almost unrealistic, you know? So a lot of times as a contractor, it's up to us to explain that and ask the right questions and really talk that part through so that everyone wins, you know, and you're not getting taken advantage of. Is there anything you learned from that experience or even just other freelance experiences that you make sure you add to your process now when taking on contract work? To help avoid that, you know? Um, I think I'm probably more diligent about stuff I say yes to. Mm -hmm. I still say yes to a lot of stuff. And again, I think I said this already, but yeah, if it's a passion project, be invested in it and want to make it yourself. Because if it's someone else's passion project and you're not being compensated and well enough and you're not going to be proud of it at the end, it's probably not worth your time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you say the low pay is sometimes worse than no pay because I completely agree. There's been times where I've had friends ask me if I could do something for them and I'm like, yeah, when I have time, I'll do it. And he's like, okay, cool. I'll give you, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And it's just like, man, just don't give me anything, man. Because like that hundred exactly. bucks, yeah, that hundred bucks makes it a little more urgent. You know, because then they're going to be like, oh, man, I paid you. You were like, where's where's my edit? Especially if it's people who are like strapped for cash and to them, a hundred bucks is a lot. It's a and big like, deal. Mm -hmm. Not that it's not a big deal, but like to you, like, I feel like there's very few editing projects where you're not going to at least spend an entire day on it. Yep. So yep, like yep, yep. you divide a hundred dollars into eight or ten hours, like that's freaking ten dollars. You're making nothing. You're making and to them it's a big deal. They think they're paying you a lot, you know. And even when you accept a little bit of money, it stops becoming the I'll do it if I have time. You know what I mean? And then it mm -hmm. becomes like I have to deliver on this, you know. And shooting becomes way more stressful if you're taking any money. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I'm a pretty good shooter, but if I'm doing it for fun, like I'm having a great time, I'm good at it, it's like low stress. For the few things I've gotten paid to shoot, I'm like a wreck, man. I'm like, oh my God, is the audio running? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm trying to be so like smooth, like not even breathe while I'm like holding the camera. What's the biggest drop the ball moment for shooting that you've had? Because I've had a big one, man. This is like small potatoes, but actually maybe it's not. Maybe it's bigger potatoes. <laughs> I filmed an entire wedding <laughs> with no sound. <laughs> oh, wow. that's pretty big that's pretty big. yeah dude, uh, so i was very young I was, I was either in college or just out of college and <laughs> i'm pretty sure i didn't get paid if i got paid it was hardly anything but still like people wanted me to make a wedding video for them and dude i filmed the whole thing and <laughs> there was no sound <laughs> so how'd you get around that 
see this is where you know god if you're up there you were <laughs> thank you for looking down on me it was a 1920s themed wedding oh per, you got saved yeah dude and i made it a silent film <laughs> yes, theme, and yes. I, ha- I got like the placards i got the nice typeface and had like she said yes like, <laughs> swirly font and dude they loved it oh, and i actually amazing. think it was r- really good too yeah. i didn't tell them that i like butchered the whole thing and like it probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal because they were like a family friend but okay um, oh that's awesome that's awesome yeah, yeah. i still have that private on my vimeo and i watched it maybe like two years ago that's cool that's cool yeah you really made that work and sometimes like that's where you find out new techniques too is out of desperation you know what i mean like you gotta be resourceful that one experience has pretty much haunted me for life with audio like i'm wearing a lavalier mic right now because Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah you're doubling as a a backup dude like i'm so worried about that stuff that's good that's good that means you're not going to do it again yep Hopefully. I probably will. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask a few rapid fire questions here. So since you've been a contractor for a few years and you've also worked in the corporate space, what do you favor about both working major or independent? Yeah, I think there's pros and cons to both. If I had to pick one, I would definitely say independent, especially once you establish a few consistent clients. I think I've kind of gone the route of maybe a little bit smaller day rate, but more consistent work. But there's people who will just be able to be calmer than I am and just, you know, totally fly by the seat of their pants and just totally crush it. I think in-house or nine to five, it is a trap in a lot of ways. I think me and you and a lot of people got really comfortable where we were and it's so hard to leave once you start doing all that. And I should also say that I'm very fortunate that my wife, Angie, has a full-time job, so I'm like on her healthcare and all that stuff. That's a huge negative of being independent in this country is having to worry about that stuff. But I will say, like, I miss you guys and the whole crew like, yeah, so likewise, much, man. man. Yeah. Especially living in Denver and just being an editor. It, it is isolating at times, so I just miss the crew, and I do miss making stuff together, but I miss just, like, hanging out all the time, going to lunch. And I think... That's way easier to come by. It's way easier to come by at a nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what we had was special, man. Like the, like at, the at the New York office, like it was a cool little squad we had. Not everyone is fortunate enough to really get along with the people they work with. And it came in flows, like as crews changed, like sometimes it wasn't as fun. But like that era, my last five years, that was my favorite at <laughs> man like like everyone was so cool yeah, take that brian tong <laughs> yeah take that brian tong exactly <laughs> oh he's gonna be so sad <laughs> no, i'm just kidding i i really enjoyed listening to him yeah i haven't he talked did to great. him in a minute he I did gotta, great he did, he's doing and he's doing great in life and and i'm super proud of him man okay so next question what does the next five years look like to you <laughs> yeah, i know one thing <laughs> that's tough yeah so uh i'm gonna be a dad here in uh Ace. four months so you'll have a five-year-old in five years <laughs> yeah so that's been the main thing i'm awesome. worried about congrats um, congrats thank you yeah i, I think, think just, just continuing, continuing to, to try and grow this little freelance gig i got and i have plans of starting my own little production agency that i haven't done yet but i'm hoping to get that going and then uh, i'm always trying to be creative in other ways i i'm working on a couple couple writing projects that i've been working on for like years and yeah i hope to just one day in the next five years at least put those out into the world i really want to like 
meet people in this local community, especially. I think the pandemic kind of made it hard and me just being new in the freelance world. And then I've actually been thinking a lot about maybe working with kids or trying to teach camera work or teach editing or just teach like film stuff. That sounds really rewarding and appealing to me. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately too. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone say that. That's dope. Yeah, yeah. at some point we got to think about how we're going to help the next generation. So I'm glad you're, you're thinking about that now, man. Okay, next question. If you could say anything to the young you, what would it be? Don't be so hard on yourself. And on the other side of the spectrum of that is never think that you know something fully in regards to like a skill or something you want to get better at. I think when you're in your 20s, maybe it's your ego or whatever. I'm speaking personally, at least you can feel like you really know how to do something 100%. And I think that can actually hinder you growing. And it's always exciting to just keep your mind open to learning more and getting better at something. Yeah, that's great feedback. And when I was in my 20s, I really thought I was the best at this, you know, but now I've come to be older and now I know that I'm the best at this. <laughs> no, but you know, it's, it's Dang, easy. Put that on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's easy to have an ego when you're in your early twenties. And now I can't stand a know-it-all man. It just reflects on the type of person they are. Okay. Next question. AI, do you fear it or do you use it? I'm going to say fear it, Ariel. <laughs> do you think it's going to take over our editing jobs? Dude, I watched Terminator 2 Judgment Day at a far too young age, and I will I will never let Skynet come in here and take our jobs and our yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll fight to the death. No, if you want a real answer, uh, <laughs> I think that is a real answer. But I think it's interesting in small doses. I really like the Adobe audio AI thing that they've mm. released. Mm-hmm. I don't I guess that's AI. I don't really even know what constitutes AI, but I think that's a really helpful tool. And I use that all the time. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I didn't even think that that is AI. I mean, really AI has been around for a long time. It's just being marketed now. And and in a lot of ways it can be scary, but I think we, everyone uses it every day. Okay. So the very last question, uh, I like to end it with a segment called drop a gem on them. If you got any advice for a young video editor out there, what would it be? I mentioned P Stone earlier at Thrasher, and he taught me really early on. I only got to actually edit like two things during my internship, but he said, always start and end with a banger. And it sounds so obvious and simple, but I think about that saying probably almost every project. Find your best stuff and always start with your best stuff. And if you still got some left over, you got to end with the either slightly more best stuff or slightly less best stuff either way. But that's what keeps people hooked. I think he might've been referring to actual like skate tricks. I'm not sure, (laughs) but yeah, I think just something that's visually compelling and really draws the audience in, you know, maybe it's your grandpa spilling the coffee on his computer while you're filming them. And that's like the moment that you tease for later in the video. So it could really be anything. It's just always like, trying to hook your audience and drawing yep, them yep. in. Yep, yep, yep. That The hook is what I've heard pretty often is start with the hook to get people watching. Cool. Well, man, thank you for joining. You are definitely one of the best video editors I've ever worked with, and we will continue to work together. Uh, I got some projects coming up, so I'm going to be hitting you up soon. But yeah, man, thanks for joining. 
Cool. Thanks, Ariel. This was fun. I'm proud of you for doing this. Uh, it's been awesome. Hey, and if anyone's made it this far, go listen to Ariel's friend Tomas's episode because mm. it made me nervous being on here because he's so freaking intelligent, yeah. but uh, <laughs> it's really inspiring and really good. And all his gems are way better than the gem I just dropped. Yeah, no, no, your gem was great. He <laughs> he just, his language is gems. Seriously, like any conversation with him is just like back to back, like quotables. It's insane. So yeah, I set the bar high with that one. And, I, and you're not the only one that said that. Yeah. <laughs> but you were great, crazy. man. All right. Yeah, thank you. Yes, sir. And that was it. That was my interview with Nick Golden Henry. I hope you enjoyed that one. I certainly did. It's always great to catch up with Nick, but I think beyond that, because we do talk pretty often, I think beyond that, I'm just kind of reminded of how important it is to find people you align with, but also come from a very different background and can bring new perspectives to projects that you may not see, you know, different styles, different flavors. There's many solutions to a problem, many solutions. It's really about how you get there and what style you bring to that. And I think Nick's approach is always different, but always gets the job done. And that's why I like working with him. I hope you guys took a lot out of that. Hit us up, rel.mov on Instagram. Hit John Reyes up, Stank Palmer on all socials. But yeah, we'll see y'all next week. Peace. Well, I tried to tell you so, yes, I did. but I guess you didn't know, as they say the story goes, baby, now I got the flow, cause I knew it from the start, baby, when I broke my heart, that I had to play the game, and show you that I'd win, your life to me. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Do, do, do.